Today we have an incredible special opportunity today. One of my good friends, Pastor Jerome Gay, is in the house to bring the word um, today. I love Pastor Jerome in so many different ways. I love um, all the ways that he serves God faithfully. I love that he is a faithful minister of the gospel in Raleigh, North Carolina. He pastors Vision Church there, a church that was planted just a few years ago, and God is doing amazing things in and through Vision Church. As well, he is an alum with me from Southeastern Seminary in Wake Forest. Um, he is married to his beautiful wife, Crystal, and they have been married for 18 years. When you look at him, you're going to be like, did he get married when he was 15? Like, my goodness, how's he got 18 years under his belt? My goodness. As well, his family is with us. Uh, his two children, Jamari and Jordan, are today. I'm so excited about the word that he is going to bring. So would you put your hands together and welcome our guest, Pastor Jerome Gay. Thank you. Thank you. Well, good morning, Bridge family. Good morning. How are we? Well, congratulations and happy birthday on five years. Can we praise God for that again? Praise God for five years. Well, as Pastor Ethan said, I'm grateful. Uh, we admire you guys from afar. Uh, we're also, I want to say just how unfair it is that last month you guys signed the pastoral free agent, Chris Green. Um, the Kevin Durant of pastoral free agents was added to the Bridge Church. Uh, so truly, you guys have an anointing here. I'm going to take some of that back to Raleigh. Uh, if you don't mind, let me pray again, and we're going to dive into the text today. Father, we are truly grateful for this opportunity. God, we celebrate your faithfulness in this community of faith the past five years. As they've been able to serve you, they've seen people come uh, from no faith to having faith. 150 baptisms. Wow. Something to celebrate, God. Now, God, as we walk through a few verses in Acts chapter 16, Lord, I pray the words of what Jesus said in John 7, 16. He says, uh, my teaching is not my own, but him who sent me. And that's my prayer, God, that my preaching would not be my own, uh, but the preaching of him who sent me. For this is not my word, it's your word, so move me out the way. And bless me in this moment that the Bridge Church would hear what you want them to hear from your holy word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray that all of God's people say, Amen. Amen. Well, I want to talk briefly about the power of vision. Can you say vision? I want to talk about the power of vision. And, and speaking of which, I want to read a quote from Helen Keller. Uh, she was a political activist. She fought for racial equality uh, in the 20th century. And she says this, the only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. And when you think about that, the power and the essence of vision, it is both inspirational and transformational. And a few years ago, I was able to watch something on SportsCenter or it's called SE Featured. I love uh, ESPN. I love the top 10 plays. Any ESPN fans in here? Uh, uh, I love the not top 10 plays as well. Uh, but I also love SE Featured because what it does is it zooms in on people that are facing immense challenges and how they overcome them. And I was watching uh, five, about four uh, years ago, this particular episode, uh, it had a beautiful, a beautiful shot of this 1964 candy red SS Impala. And it just had a, a nice close shot, and then the shot didn't stay there too long before you saw this brother enters into the camera view, and he opens the car door with his chin. 
He gets in the car. The camera changes again to him putting on the seatbelt pretty much with his, his chin, and he uses his feet to charge the ignition of the car. And then it goes to a wide shot, and then you can see that this brother has no arms. And at this moment, he's in the car, and it shows him driving without arms. And so I had a, I had a couple questions at that point. Uh, first question was, where is this dude going? Second question was, why didn't the cameraman put his camera down and stop him? And I'm looking and I'm wondering, what in the ham sandwich is going on? <laughs> Wilmington, what in the gluten-free was going on? Because <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what's happening at this, at this moment. And, and what, what you find is this brother has overcome immense obstacles and nothing stops him. And his name is Richie Parker. And he's a designer and engineer for Hendrick Motorsports, one of the, the winningest organizations in NASCAR. And he suffers from uh, what's called bilateral amelia, a, a joint and muscle deficiency. And so he was, he was born this way. But none of that stopped him. Uh, what started as a 10-month intern has turned into a career that has spanned over 12 years. And when you look at this brother, uh, not only is he designing chassis uh, for cars and, and particular parts, which he does all with his feet. Uh, after that, after a 10-year career, he said that wasn't enough. He also went and got his MBA from Clemson. And he, and he does all of this, and, and the question is why? What would drive him to not let these obstacles stop him? What would drive him to keep moving forward and keep pressing? And some people will say willpower. And maybe to some degree that would be true. And some people say it was just passion. But I would say what's driving him is vision. He has a vision for his life that he's not going to let his physical disability stop him for what he feels passionate about. Bridge family, if this brother could be that passionate about designing car parts with human will, how much more should we be excited about the vision God has given us? That God has given us a vision to impact and transform the city for his glory. But the question is, what is vision? Vision is the God-given, God-designed plan for our lives that aligns our gifting and our desires for his glory. I like what Andy Stanley says about it. He says, visions are born in the soul of a man or woman who is consumed with the tension between what is and what could be. The frustrated, the broken, the angry are candidates for God's vision. But also the optimistic, the hopeful, the dreamers are all candidates for God's vision. And as you continue to fulfill your vision, Bridge family, to be for Christ, for community, and for the city, I just want us to see and be encouraged by what God has done in and through you these past five years, but also how it continues to drive not only our mission for life, but our purpose for life. So our first point is this. God's vision for your life is simultaneously limited and limitless. Let me read Acts 16.6. And they went through the, the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Uh, we, we hear a lot about Paul in this particular text. And if, and if you've read any of Acts, Acts was written by Dr. Luke. And in chapter 9, that's when we meet Saul, who becomes Paul. And Paul has an interesting conversion story because he persecuted the church. He literally murdered Christians. In fact, when God meets him, he was on his way to get papers in order to persecute more Christians. And isn't it interesting that God meets him in the midst of his disobedience because that's the type of God we serve. 
that he's on his way to violate God's will and is in the midst of him on his way to violate God's will that God meets him to show him his will for his life. And we see the same thing here. And so what's interesting is this idea of God's vision being limited and limitless is God says, don't go to Asia because I'm calling you somewhere specific. When God calls you, it's not that he's called us to do everything, but when we do what he has called us to do, as limited as we are within our human strength, when we are operating in the plan and purpose and wisdom of God, you and I are unstoppable. Why? Not because of our power, but because of his. Don't believe me? Let me read it. Acts chapter 5, verse 39. And this is, this is a guy who was actually opposing the people of God, but he even understood God's power. He says this, but if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might be even found opposing God, so they took his advice. This is a guy named Gamaliel, and he was coming against the mission of God. The people were coming against God, the people that God had called, and he says, listen, listen, I, I, listen, bro, time out, flag on the play. Listen, if you try to stop these guys, you won't be able to, because when God calls a man or a woman to do something and they operate within that plan of purpose, you are unstoppable. Why? Not because of you, not because of your intelligence, not because of your degrees, not because of your power, but because the one who sent you also goes with you where he sends you to. And isn't that a beautiful reality? That's the, that's the last promise Jesus gave us. Know that I am with you, until you the, even until the end of the age. If God is with us, that vision can be accomplished and we cannot be stopped. And we see this here in the text that God is calling them, but notice he prevents them from going to Asia. Family, if we're going to fulfill God's vision, we must be sensitive to his spirit, where he's leading us to, and where he's telling us not to go. It's not that God is against Asia. We'll, we'll, we'll see that very quickly if you read the text. But he's saying, I've called you somewhere specific, and God has called you to this area, and you've seen the fruit of your obedience. Next point, God's vision for your life isn't about you. Let me say that one more time for the people in the back. God's vision... For your life isn't about you. A vision that is only about you is a small vision. Any vision that's given by God is not about you, and it should also outlive you. Watch this, verse 7, Acts 16, 7. And when they had come up from up to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia. But here it is again, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Listen, just, I want to pause right there. God will block you. Learn to say thank you for the closed doors. Amen, two people. Le le learn to say thank you for the doors that close, and sometimes God's rejection is actually his protection. Verse 8, so passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision, say vision, appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Notice, number one, it's God's vision. But look, the vision was about someone needing help. When God calls you, it's not about you. When God anoints you, it's not about you. When God sends you, it's not about you. God is always sending us to others because that's the essence of what Jesus did for us. He, he sees our issues. He sees our sin. He sees us as we are. But he says, I'm not going to leave you as you are. I'm going to do something about it. Then he changes and transforms our lives for us to do the same thing. Two things I want you to see here. Number one, it is God's vision. 
And if it's God's vision, he will accomplish it through you. It will get rough. Everyone who starts with you may not finish with you. But if you hang in there, Jesus says it this way through Paul, you will reap if you don't faint. In other words, God doesn't give us all the details, does he? Because he knows if I gave you all the details, you won't go. <laughs> Amen. Right? Oh, oh, oh that, that person's going to leave me? I'm going to have to reconcile? They're going to write that about me? That person's going to cut me? Nah, God, raise up somebody else. God says, no, I'm going to tell you where to go, but I'm not going to tell you everything. Just know that I'm with you. And the fact that I'm with you needs to be enough because if I'm with you, you, you won't feel like you can get through it. But you can't go by your feelings. You got to go by your faith. That's why I said without faith, it's impossible to please me. I didn't say without feelings because you won't, you won't always feel my presence, but you got to know that I'm with you and I'll be with you. Number two. So number one, the vision is God's vision. Number two, the vision always involves people. God, God doesn't do, do anything with just one person. In, 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 in his plan, he adds people and he sends people into our lives. And so I love this is they see this man needing help, but notice, they don't come as saviors. They go to point him to the Savior. When God sends you, you don't have everything that people need, but you know who does. And that's what drives us. Listen, next point. God's vision demands action. The word vision is the Greek word harama, and it's this idea of seeing to completion. In other words, what God says is when I call you and when I show you something, I don't want you to, get just, to just get excited about what you see. I want you to do it. Real simple. He said, I don't want you to just get so excited that you, you see the vision in your head, but it stays there. Or you even go as far as to write it on paper, but it stays there. I, I want the vision to actually be carried out, which is why verse 10 is key. He says, immediately. In other words, after they hear this vision, God stopped us from going to Asia. He stopped us from going to Bithynia. Okay, he's telling us to go to Macedonia. The Bible says immediately they went. And family, I want to encourage you to be expedient in your obedience. Because sometimes it's that hesitation that allows more doubt to set in. Sometimes it's that hesitation that allows more fear to set in. Sometimes it's that hesitation that causes us to ask the wrong people who will speak against the vision that God has called us to fulfill. And so they go. And what's interesting is when they go, when we get to verse 11, one of the first people they meet is a young lady named Lydia. And Lydia is uh, this fashion, fashionista. Uh, she's a fashionista. She basically has a house in Thyatira, and she has a house in Macedonia. Now, here's what's interesting is that Lydia is from Thyatira. Guess what Thyatira is? Asia. Remember the spirit prevented them from going to Asia? But they reached Asia and Macedonia because the gospel is both global, is global, is global and local. That you can reach, you can reach another nation right here in the United States. Not that I'm against overseas missions. We just, I saw we just prayed over some missionaries. Praise God for that. But, but don't ever limit God to where you are. <laughs> and, and, and they didn't know that we're going to reach someone from Asia here in Macedonia. And she's this fashionista. The Bible says she's the seller of purple. She paid. Making money designing clothes. She got the best robes of her day. She had the Louboutin sandals. She was doing all that for the people back then, right? And the Bible says that 
She was a God-fearing woman, but that the Spirit had to open her heart to hear what Paul was saying. So she was religious, but she didn't know the gospel. And I don't know about Wilmington, but in Raleigh, there are a lot of people who are religious, but don't know the gospel. And so Paul, again, now, what would have happened if they would have forced Asia? What would have happened if they would have tried to force Bithynia? Thank God that when we try to force, he stops. <laughs> he stopped them. No, 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 don't go to Asia. No. I know you want to go. I, I, of course they need to hear the gospel message, but I have a specific plan, a specific purpose. I want you to go to Macedonia, and guess what? The place you were trying to go, you're still going to reach because now Lydia will be a missionary for me when she goes back. You don't see it because I didn't give you all the details. That's why you walk by faith and not by sight. You don't know how the plan is going to end, but I see the end from the beginning. I know the whole plan. I know more than you. Just trust me. God says, just trust me. And so she hears the gospel because of a vision. Next, in verses 16 through 18, they meet this slave girl. I want to read a little bit of this. It says, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her own as much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Sounds good, right? Let's check out verse 18. And she kept doing this for many days, having become greatly annoyed. Turned, Paul had turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus, come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. Bible says she has a spirit of divination. She basically, she, she sees the future. So this was the New Testament, Miss Cleo. And y'all remember Miss Cleo? I just want to show my age a little bit. Uh, millennials, Miss Cleo was this Jamaican woman who would come on TV and charge you to tell you what was going to happen. But she had to charge you first before she would tell you what was going to happen. And so here's Miss Cleo in the text, and she hears the gospel. Again, imagine if they didn't go. Because remember, the vision isn't about you, and the vision also involves others who you don't know. You don't know their story. And when you dig into this, she was more than a fortune teller. She was also a sex slave. So even back then, we have tons of movements for sex trafficking, but God said, no, I'm not letting you go there because I have plans that exceed your expectations. Whenever we're dealing with God, we're always dreaming too small. But he just wants that act of obedience to show us even more of what he's going to do. And then verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them listening to them. Now, in between this slave girl who now hears the gospel, what happens is she's now set free. And the Bible says that when her owners saw that their chance of gaining money was gone, they have Paul and Silas beat. Now, now what's interesting is the Bible says that Paul and Silas are beaten by the magistrates. The magistrates translates as police. So the police beat them, and they have the crowd to join in and to beat them. And so now, by the time we get to verse 25, they're in jail, watch this, for doing the right thing. Obedience doesn't come without struggle. 
Example, Jesus, perfect, sinless, but still suffered. And Jesus is the only one who could drink this cup and live for us. Jesus carries the weight of the world on his shoulders. Jesus, whom, now when you think about the purpose of Jesus, it's no wonder he didn't have an earthly wife. Because she'd be miserable. No, for real, Jesus' earthly wife would be miserable. She'd be crying, I just feel like everything's my fault. Jesus, it is. I'm Jesus. (laughs) I'm perfect, so it can't be mine. It has to be your fault. Everything, it is. I'm Jesus. So, so we see this here. <laughs> Come on back. We, we see this here, right? And, and they're rejoicing while they're in jail. What, what can give someone that type of joy? Only when you respond to the gospel and understand God's vision for your life. So he's doing the right thing. Sometimes we go through for doing the right thing. And here they are in jail and they're singing hymns. I don't know what they're singing. Maybe some Fred Hammond. Maybe some Hill song. Maybe some Ty Trippett. <laughs> Amen. Whatever they're singing, though, the guard who put them in there hears them singing in light of being in prison. And so he, he hears them singing, and then the Bible tells us something crazy happens, that an earthquake happens. And the earthquake happens, and the gates to each prisoner's door opens. And the Philippian jailer is getting ready to kill himself, and Paul says, no, 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 we're all here. Now, here's how you know God is with you. You're in basically a cave. There's an earthquake. None of the rocks fall on Paul and Silas. The gates open, and they don't leave. Okay, y'all spiritual. I would have said, look at God. The bricks didn't, the earthquake, God just set me free. Not Paul, which is why it's not the book of Jerome. Right? Because second opinions 2.8 would have said, then Jerome left. Right? But Paul, Paul stays here. They stay here. And, and they begin to minister to this man, and they get saved. And so I want, I want you to see this. The gospel reaches Lydia. Lydia, who's wealthy but also who probably has her, her identity in her possessions, she hears the gospel. Then you have the slave girl who obviously is not wealthy, and she hears the gospel. Then you have the Philippian jailer who's basically a workaholic, and he hears the gospel. So you have this, this Asian woman, this, this slave girl, this Philippian jailer, and you see economic and racial diversity as a result of them not going to Asia and going to Macedonia. You see the gospel, how it reconciles, how it brings people together, how it's a level playing field, because regardless of her house in Macedonia and her house in Thyatira, regardless of the slave girl's poverty, regardless of the workaholism of the Philippian jailer, that the foot of the cross, the playing field is level. The playing field is level. Doesn't matter how much money you have. Doesn't matter how many degrees you have. None of that means anything because that can't save you. And so as a result of their obedience, they all hear the gospel and we're seeing what God does when you respond to his vision. And here we go. Here we go. And so Lydia goes from having her identity and her possessions to being a daughter of God. The slave girl goes from fortune telling to knowing who holds her future. 
Then the Philippian jailer goes from his workaholism to asking, what must I do to be saved? And I'm going to pause here for the Philippian jailer because, because some of you find your identity in what you do. Or, or some of you just can't say no. He was so wrapped up in his job, he was getting ready to kill himself. As a result, the thought of these prisoners escaping. But listen, this movement, this idea of them obeying God sparked a movement. What started all the way back in Acts 1-8 when he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. That's how we got reached. We now see God moving from chapter 1 to chapter 2 when they go from 120 to 3,120 and to 5,000 people in five chapters. We see this happens. Last point. God's vision for our lives is the source of true joy in difficulty. I want you to hear a little bit more of Paul's testimony. Paul was a part of the sanctioning of the stoning of Deacon Stephen in Acts chapter 8. He gets converted by the gospel in Acts chapter 9. He has hands laid on him, and a diverse group of Christian leaders are sent out in Acts chapter 13. He has to separate from a good friend in Acts chapter 15. Because I told you, everyone doesn't, isn't necessarily called to go with you where God is calling you. He got beaten with rods and thrown in prison for preaching the gospel in Acts chapter 16. He praises God for this suffering, and we see him singing right here in chapter 16. He's called a babbler of strange teachings in chapter 17. He has a vision to continue to preach the gospel. Even, I forgot, back in chapter 14, he got beaten to within an inch of his life and goes back into the city where they beat him. What would make a man do this? The gospel and God's vision for his life. But I'm not done. He continues to boldly proclaim the gospel to the point where God allows the man's handkerchief to heal people. He raised Eutychus from the dead. Eutychus fell to sleep during the sermon. Hint. <laughs> fell to sleep during the sermon. Fell out, which means it was a large crowd. He fell out of a two- or three-story building, broke his neck. And Paul didn't even say, next time, pay attention to my sermon. <laughs> he raises from the dead and shows the power of God there. He gets arrested in the temple, and then that's chapter 21. But two things I want you to see in chapter 22 of Acts and chapter 26. In Acts chapter 9, now Luke wrote all 28 chapters, but in Acts chapter 9, Luke is telling his story. But when you read Acts chapter 22 and chapter 26, Paul tells his own story. When you read chapter 22, he has way more detail than what Luke says in chapter 9. When you get to chapter 26, he asks even more detail. And the point there is, as Paul meditates on the grace that he has received, he finds more reason that God is praiseworthy in his own life. And I want to encourage you that as you respond to God's vision and you encounter difficulty, and it is hard, but if you meditate on the grace that he has shown you, you have more reasons to praise him than to complain about. And Paul, Paul says he adds more and more detail because when you meditate on grace and you realize that it is unmerited favor, there's nothing I can do, will do, have ever done to earn a love like this. There's nothing you won't do for him. 
As Pastor J.D. likes to say, you put your yes on the table to whatever God is telling you to do and wherever he is telling you to go. And he says, as you think about that grace, this joy consumes him. That even in jail, he sings. Even in jail, he rejoices. Why? Because God gave him a vision. And when God calls you, he doesn't tell you everything. And he doesn't give you everything. Listen, if, if you have all of the resources, it's not vision. Because you're not believing God for anything. If, if you have all the people, you have all the buildings, you have everything, you have all the, all the connections, that's not vision. God wants us to operate by faith. I'm going to tell you what faith is. Faith is the act of trusting and obeying God without all the details. One more time. Faith is the act. So it's a, it's a verb. It's not just I believe. It's the act of trusting and obeying God without all the details. And he doesn't have all the details. All he knew was we can't go here, we can't go here. I had this dream. This man said he needed some help. But it was more than just one man needing help. How, how many more Lydia's need to hear the gospel? How many more slave girls need to hear the gospel? How many more Philippian jailers, Philippian workers need to hear the gospel? And listen, uh, one pastor can't do it himself. God raises up a community and sends them out for his power, for his glory, for his fame, for his renown. And what if everyone caught a vision of God's vision? I mean, mean, think about it. What, what, what What if it wasn't just words on a page, but we really believed it to be the word of God? What if it's, it's not just quotes to get me th- through the day, but it's the very word of God? What if, as my brother said, who's leading worship, it, we recognize the spirit is not an it, but he's a he? But what if, and if you get God's vision, this is the type of person I am, and this is the type of people I believe God wants and God uses, is I don't want to just witness God's power. I want to experience it. I want to experience God's power. And when I step out on faith, I'm not stepping out on my own faith. The object of my faith is the one who's gifted me faith, gifted me righteousness, made me his son, made me his daughter. And as a result of that, I'm trusting him with the outcome. I'm trusting him with everything he's going to call me to do. And here it is that Paul just responded to a vision. He didn't know Lydia was there. He didn't know the slave girl was there. He didn't know the Philippian jailer was there. And many of you, Pastor Ethan, didn't know. But look what happens when someone responds to a vision. There's some things that you guys can rejoice. Number one, 150 baptisms. Y'all praise God for that. Come on. Come on. You guys helped plant nine churches in five years. You watch your ethnic diversity go from roughly zero to almost 20% in five years. And you've given away over 350,000 through Christmas for the city initiatives. Can y'all praise God? Let me teach y'all how to, how to shout up in here. Why? Why do this? Why Paul, right? Why? Why get beaten and go back? I imagine he had some questions, right? Like, God, you told me to go here. Now I'm in jail. 
And when I read the Bible, I ask questions. Like, I don't, I don't believe in illogical faith or blind faith. Like, well, okay. Well, here's why. There's this beautiful picture of the gospel tucked in between what we just read. Let me read it, and we'll pray. It says, but when her owners, this is the slave girl, saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. I love that. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept the practice. The crowd joined in in attacking them, and the magistrates tore garments off and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safe. Having received this order, they put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Family, please don't miss this beautiful picture of the gospel tucked in between a rich girl and a Philippian jailer getting saved. Tucked in between that is this beautiful picture of the gospel. And what, what happens? Where is that beautiful picture of the gospel passage room? Thank you for asking. I'm glad to tell you. The, the Philippian jailer hears the gospel, Lydia hears the gospel, but the slave girl is, is what I believe in this text that Luke writes is the most vivid picture because it shows us what happens when we trust Christ. Let me break it down for you. Paul preaches the gospel to her and she gets saved. She becomes free, and he becomes a prisoner. One more time. You ain't with me. Paul preaches the gospel to her. She becomes free, and he becomes a prisoner. He was beaten. He was stripped, beaten with rods. Don't that remind you of somebody? Jesus. When Jesus died for us, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Therefore, Paul switched places. He becomes a prisoner. She becomes free. Jesus switched places. He became sin. You become sinless as a result of what he's done for you. That is a beautiful picture of the gospel that we should praise him for. Aren't you glad that God switched places with you? Aren't you excited that Jesus switched places with you? And so he says, I'll take on your sin. I'll take on your slavery. I'll take on your habits. I'll take on your addiction. I'll take it all on. And in exchange for everything you've done wrong, I'm going to give you my righteousness. I'm going to give you my holiness. I'm going to give you my peace. I'm going to give you my joy. So everything you're going through, I can handle it. You can't. Ha it is breaking you. It is crushing you. I want your sin. Nobody else wants this exchange except Jesus. So Paul traded places showing us Jesus who traded places with us to make us his own. Family, that is what drives this church and that is what drives the church. Let's give God some praise for his vision and his grace.